Hey, I'm Brett Podolsky, co-founder of The Farmer's Dog. We make fresh food for dogs. We started the company when we saw what a huge difference it made in my own dog, Jada, when she stopped eating ultra-processed kibble and started eating fresh, whole food. The Farmer's Dog food isn't fancy. It's just real food delivered to your door in pre-portioned packs. It's better for them and easier for you. Get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. That's thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. Welcome in, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of the Go 24-7 podcast. Thanks for listening. We are coming to you on a Monday when LSU is hitting the reset button in a way. It's first loss since 2018 coming at the hands of Mississippi State over the weekend, 44 to 34 in Tiger Stadium. Mike Leach's SEC debut, KJ Costello's SEC debut goes for a single game passing record in the SEC, which is pretty wild considering we're all coming off covering the greatest offensive performance in college football history from Joe Burrow last year. But I'm Billy Ambody, Shea Dixon with me here. Uh, We are going to kind of close the door on this uh, LSU-Mississippi State game, kind of share our take, share what's next. We've got some updates to give you guys on the team as well, and we'll also debate whether this game could have a re- any sort of recruiting impact uh, for the Tigers as well. But, Shay, let's jump in with this, and I think you covered this really well in your story on Go247.com where your take is pump the brakes on the worries with Miles Brennan. He threw for 345 yards in his – Uh, debut as LSU starter this loss certainly doesn't fall all on his shoulders but it's too early to throw in the towel and freak out completely right yeah I mean I think it's too early to have some sort of firm judgment either way and and you can read the piece on the site and and that's kind of the very short uh kind of cliff notes version of or I'll give you the cliff notes version of the story is Let's pump the brakes on writing him off. Let's pump the brakes on thinking that he's going to be a messiah or whatever preconceived notion we had in our mind before the season. And and there's so many variables for that, right? Um, for that to kind of play out that way, right? There's losing everyone to the NFL draft and then not having spring ball, which is such an important time for um, a quarterback and, and a new offense to get on the same page. And then to not to sort of have a very different summer where you're not with the coaches, you're on your own. Uh, then you get into the fall camp and on receiver all the way through until just a few weeks ago. So all of those things coupled with following in the footsteps of a giant uh, in Joe Burrow with feeling just personal pressure to go out there and deliver in your first start uh, in however, what, since his senior high school, so four years. Uh, and then to do it in a first game, no, no warm-up games. In a first game against an SEC team, where you're asked to keep up with on the other side of the football, the single best quarterback performance in an SEC game in conference history. That's not something Joe Burrow did. It's something KJ Costello did. He threw for 643 yards. So all of that, and I said this, as much as 2019 was this perfect storm of everything, 2020, toss in in the opening game, you find out the night prior, and and we find out the morning of, that you're not going to have Derek Stingley it was the perfect storm for it to play out how it did. And, and we can look, you can look at the stats and, and I agree. Miles Brennan had good stats. He threw for 350 yards. He threw for three touchdowns. He had two picks neither of which anybody is worrying about. One of the picks, his arm got hit. It would have been a touchdown arm gets hit and it, it falls what 10 yards short, 20 yards short. 
and they pick it off in the last one being the last play of the game where they're down by 10 and, and just throwing Hail Marys to the end zone. So I see what everyone else sees. You see the stats, they're good. Your eyes told you something different. It told you that this is a kid in his fourth year who looks scared. He looks scared to get hit. He looked timid. He was leaving the pocket when the pocket was still there for him. I didn't think the O-line played great, but O-lines aren't going to play great. Now, nobody in college football is getting some excellent O-line all the time. They won the Joe Moore Award for the best O-line in college football a year ago, and Joe Burrow was running for his life many times. What what sort of separated him was how he was able to keep drives alive. And can Brennan settle in? That's our question. The question is is not and and don't you know where's the backups? Let's let's if, let's build for the future. No, Brennan. The expectation is Brennan is your future. He played his first game. He has two years left. In theory, he could play for three more if they're not counting anyone's eligibility this year. This is your future. The two guys on the bench are not Trevor Lawrence. Not that we know of, okay? So it's not the same as Clemson putting him in as a true freshman. With Brennan, you've got a guy that you thought, hey, they say he looks good in practice. He's been around forever. He knows the offense. No one's waking up today or, or this week saying, I'm worried Brennan doesn't know the offense or um, I'm worried Brennan can't get the job done with his arm. Now, did it didn't look that way this weekend. We know Brennan's got a big arm. Burrow talks about Brennan having a big arm. These guys aren't out here just making things up. They're sharing what they see in practice. In the game, he looked timid, and that left him without a big arm. It left him throwing some kind of wobbly passes where you could tell he was a bit indecisive on what he wanted to do. And certainly, he looked rattled just going through the motions of the game. But then you saw the coaching staff adjust at halftime. They went to the quick passing game. And look, he looked a little bit more comfortable. He had a very, he had a very solid second half where he threw for over 200 yards and only incompleted a handful of passes, a few of them which were pretty key drops. So, so much goes into making a quarterback look good. The O-line, did all the receivers run the right routes? Did they run it to the right depth? Um, how bad did the drops hurt? None of your running backs ran for the longest run was 12 yards. No one gives you a big play in the run game. None of those guys went over 50 yards on the day. I, I don't believe so. I said that with without double thinking it. Um, looking at the stat sheet, yeah, 47 yards for Curry. 43 for Price, 27 for Emory. So it's not like a run. You got into some game where you were up by 14, the running game's handling it, and you're sort of easing yourself into your first start. He was in a shootout against trying to keep up with the best performance in SEC quarterback history. There's so many more things to obviously blame than Brennan in this one, and I think that's where people are probably getting lost in this, is maybe people aren't all blaming Brennan, and then it's coming off across, across that way because he's been under the microscope. But Remember, with everything that's happened to this offseason, losing all of that, we all fooled ourselves if we thought it was going to look crystal clear, uh, you know, super clean and, and no worries and just have a couple. Of, uh, production or, or at least close to it that you had, that's not going to happen. In my mind, we can see what Brennan looks like against Andy. We can see what he looks like against Missouri. Those should be, in a sense, the same type of tune-up games you're getting with some of these non-conference games you would have played. Not the same thing, but as close as you can get in this sort of weird 10-game season, pump the brakes. I'm not saying that Brennan's the Messiah, and I'm not saying that he needs to be benched. I'm saying that if you thought in your mind he was going to be your starter for 20-something games, give him more than a game uh, to think about giving all, all the things that we sort of just went through. And on top of that, look at what LSU – 
didn't go after in the offseason. They didn't go after De'Aaron King. They didn't go after KJ Costello. They didn't go after JT Daniels, all those different guys. They felt confident about Miles Brennan. And that was even the talk last year when Miles Brennan would go into the game when they'd be up big at times. You know, Ed Ogeron would just say, you know, My, we're confident Miles is going to be our guy, blah, blah, blah. We like him, all that. And it just shows that their confidence in him that action by not going after any of these transfer quarterbacks is exactly, I mean, it just says it all. It says it all in terms of what they thought they had going in. He needs to settle down. He needs to not have happy feet. Uh, I thought the offensive line at times broke down really badly. Uh, and then other times they held up well and they gave him time to find targets and they gave him plenty of time to, to make decisions. And, you know, I think you've got to give Mississippi state a lot of credit. Clearly. Uh, that coaching staff did a great job getting them ready to play. And Ed Ogeron, as we just got off the phone with him on Monday, we're recording here Monday afternoon. He said, look, we've got to coach better. We've got to prepare better. We've got to do all these things better. And Bo Pelini came right up to him after the game and said, this is on me. I, I, sh I didn't have them well enough prepared. So there's a lot of things to clean up. I think Ed Ogeron updated Derek Stingley's status, which is that he's expected back on Tuesday with the team. Will he play? They're, they're, they're going through all the medical paperwork or what have you, but uh, that decision is going to come later in the week, it sounds like. But Orgeron seemed positive, at least on, on the Derek Stingley front, which would be a big boost to the secondary, which had a rough day. But the thing about the secondary was they, just, they were in a bad scheme for what Mike Leach and Mississippi State wanted to do. I mean, I've watched Mike Leach's offenses back since they were at Texas Tech. I, I just love the offense. Um, really enjoyed it, uh, and I've rarely seen teams that line up in man and play to, uh, a Mike Leach coach team have success stopping them. Yeah, and look, we know that they did a good job of – they keep it simple. I mean, Mike Leach has said what his offense is. They were running a lot of crossing routes. They just take what the defense gives them. They run to space. Throw it to the open guy. That's the Mike Leach philosophy. Throw it to the guy who's open. So simple, right? I was surprised they didn't shift it up. I, I'm not in the coaching room. I don't know every little thing. I understand that not having Derek Stingley is a big deal, right? That right there, and you find out the morning up, basically, right, that you're not going to have your best player. Then we found out, Ed Orgeron talked about it, that Jay Ward didn't even practice last week. And I think it was Tuesday night or Monday, Jay Ward, Ed Orgeron said, I don't know if we're going to have Jay Ward available this week, and we'll see how it goes. And Jay Ward gets on Instagram live or something, whatever the kids are on, and someone asks him, well, O said that you may or may not play. He just says, I'm not playing. I'm hurt. Doesn't practice all week. Well, they get to game day, and Derek Stingley is all of a sudden not playing. His backup, Jay Ward, is not playing. Then you're relying on Darren Evans, who got here from Nichols about a week and a half ago, two weeks ago. And number 26 had a rough game. and they ended up having to put Jay Ward into the game, despite him not practicing all week. We didn't see Ray Darius Jones really at all. And was he banged up or is he just not completely ready at all? You go to the other side. I thought Eli Ricks had a great game. He had a pick that was huge and gave him a chance at the end. And he obviously undercuts the ball where he tries to make a play on it and ends up boneheading play and they score a touchdown. It's his first game as a freshman. He'll learn. He'll know he can't do that. That's fine. We saw what Cordell could plot could do opposite Stingley and out there with Fulton a year ago. Then he was the number one corner, right, all of a sudden on Saturday. And he didn't look great uh, from start to finish. And even in some tight coverages, though, Costello put balls on the money on him. And 
That's going to happen. He'll take his lumps there. You know that Flott can play better than he did. You know when Stingley's out there that Flott's just going to have to be on your second guy. And now that you know when Ricks is out there that, as you thought, Flott could play nickel, which then makes up for losing Kerry Vincent, and he certainly would have helped had he not opted out. So the DB room, yeah, it will get a little better. Your worry becomes, oh, is this what life without Stingley looks like this year? That's how important he might be to you. on you and try to pick those So I get all that. They should be better defensively and certainly at corner. They've got to get Stingley back and that will help them out in a big way. But I am curious to see how much Polini shifts in game moving forward because it was very obvious in that game that at halftime, and Orgeron talked about this, at halftime on offense, they adjusted. At halftime on defense, they didn't. And they stuck with what they thought would work for them. It didn't over and over. Do you change? What happens in these coming weeks when, or I should say beyond even the coming weeks, and against Florida, against Auburn, against Bama? What do your in-game shifts look like? How are you moving away from what your comfort zone might be as a defense or whatever it is? Um, and I think that balance is going to be interesting to watch because certainly number one on the list of to blame for losing that football game is defense, more specifically defensive backs. And then all things considered, I don't think it's unfair to say even more specifically the scheme and the coaching philosophy of the game. And I'll say this too. I'm not so sure it needs to be, you know, overhauled by any means, but it was kind of a perfect storm, right? And you kind of mentioned that on the board and, and lots of people have, is that Mike Leach's system matched up really well for LSU's defensive backs, even in man, you know, that LSU has played for years and years and years, DBU and all of that. And the way KJ Costello came out, it was just a perfect storm. And now you look at it going forward and you say, okay, you've got Vandy, you've got Missouri, you've got all these different teams. They're not going to be running the plays like, you know, quite frankly, Mississippi State does with Mike Leach. And they run, you know, let's call it like 15 plays they have for years. You see them with that little note card on the sideline uh, with Mike Leach's offenses. And it'll be interesting to see what how teams attack LSU and man now. Do they try and replicate what Mississippi State does or did uh, against LSU, or do they, you know, kind of stick with their own schemes? That's probably a, a balance that we'll see throughout the year. But uh, I thought the pass rush played uh, really well. They got pressure. There was no doubt about that. Um, they they did get two interceptions off of KJ Costello. They forced a fumble, um, and they didn't have Glenn Logan, and they won't have Glenn Logan against Vanderbilt, but they will get him back against Missouri is what Ed Ogeron reported on Monday. So that's good news for LSU. We did mention on the board when he was ruled out that, you know, it wasn't expected to be long-term. And as of now, it doesn't appear that way. So that's good for LSU on that front. Now you look ahead uh, to Vanderbilt. We're going to cover on the other side of this break. Uh, what, what needs to be fixed? What are, what, what are the things that they can really go into this week with a chance to, let's be real, play Vanderbilt and work on the little things uh, that they clearly didn't do well uh, in their season opener against Mississippi State. We'll do that on the other side of this break from the Go 24-7 podcast. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. 
Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back to the Go 24-7 podcast. Thanks for listening, guys. A quick reminder to leave us a rating, leave us a review, and subscribe to the Go 24-7 podcast. Appreciate all you guys that have done that already. Quick note here, LSU, Missouri, it's the late kick on October 10th, 8 o'clock Central in Tiger Stadium on ESPN. That was just announced on Monday. We've got LSU Vandy, 6.30 on Saturday, and that's on ESPN as well, I believe. Or excuse me, it's on the SEC network. But, uh, Shay, they've got clearly some things to clean up. Some of these issues for LSU, like let's I, – I thought the conditioning of the team could have been better – I noted on the board that the offensive line missed those two weeks in camp. And I don't think there's a college in the country that had that type of an impact where you had all your offensive linemen except one or two out for two weeks. They look like they could continue to use some conditioning and, and they're going to have to play their way into shape. But as far as what you're going to look for on Saturday in Nashville, what what can they really put together that they can build some confidence on going into that game against Missouri and then, of course, the matchup with Florida? Look, I won't spend any time on, on Brennan. Uh, just settle down. That's, that's what you're looking for from him. A, I want to see them come out. And Orgeron talked about this. So now I'm going to say I don't want I, – I would expect. I expect to see them come out and try to maintain a run game or, or assert their physicality on them in the run game early. Uh, they need to – Maybe right now, at least moving forward a little bit, try to run to set up the pass. And last year they passed to set up the run. Um, so I would try to get your backs involved. And Orgeron said there wasn't one that he preferred over the other after watching the film. He thought they all did well. Um, and I'm fine with that. Then have them on a rotation. Doesn't matter to me. But get in there and ride the running game and, and throw it to them because that's another thing. I think that the screen game or, or working the ball out of the backfield are safe throws for Brandon that are. would say offensively, I want to see that. Um, defensively, I want to see. And I'll also say offensively, I think the O-line will probably play better as a unit as the year goes on. That's just how an offensive line is. They didn't look in great shape. And I know you can't fix that in a week, but they need to be doing all they can for those guys to be putting in the extra work with cardio or whatever it might take because there were times in the second quarter where a couple guys weren't getting out of their stances uh, just because they're not very quickly, uh, because they look winded. Uh, and I know from – just kind of talking around to people that that was not specifically a line, but it was concern of the team's endurance and, and conditioning as the season goes on and even out of the gate, just because of how the off season went. Right. So I think that's a big thing. Um, and then defensively, I don't spend any time on it. They need to play better defensively at the defensive back spot. And that falls on, like I said, I want to see in game adjustments from Polini. What do they look like? Because I thought the front seven played very well, and I certainly well enough to win. And I really liked that. I liked playing his aggressive defense. I thought that the four down linemen were still getting pressure. Ali Gay was great. BJ Ojolari 
Shodi's got a very nice first step. He could be more than a situational guy for you. Even without Glenn Logan, Apu Ike was out there making plays. Uh, and we'll see what Joseph Evans can do for him. But Jabril Kyle, the team in tackles, I think he'll, over time, will continue to just get better and better. He's not going to look like Patrick Queen right away. Uh, Baskerville, when they put him in there, made some plays. I want to see the corners get better, and I want to see the safeties get better. And right now, if you're going to use Jacoby Stevens, Billy, if you're going to use him on the line of scrimmage, at linebacker, um, not as often over the top, maybe they will in, in other games, but he's your best safety. That means that Mo Hampton and Todd Harris need to play better. And that I think all of the defensive backs know uh, that coming into the, the game against Vandy and then again against Missouri, they need a better showing. Uh, and having Stingley back will certainly help, but uh, that's my biggest thing. Offense, settle in, get the run game going. Defense, figure out your in-game adjustments. Yeah, I'm with you on all of that. Now, uh, Shay, and this this might be real quick here, but you know, of course, the first inc- inc- inclination for a lot of LSU fans was to sit there and say, oh my gosh, what is going to happen with recruiting uh, following the loss to Mississippi State? Is this going to play a big impact? Corey Foreman was on campus uh, over the weekend uh, for another visit trying to take in game day in Baton Rouge. How, how does that impact him? What, what, what are some of your takeaways, I guess, from, from the recruiting impact? And, oh, by the way, lost in the wash before the kickoff, LSU offered Malik Neighbors a Mississippi State commitment uh, right before uh, the, the game. Not right before, but a few hours before the game. Uh, and, and, you know, how does that impact that battle? Yeah, you know, I say it all the time. We saw it. And that, they won a national championship and went 15-0. What is it? Does that buy you immediate commitments from everybody under the sun? No, you're out here battling for Corey Foreman's and Tristan Lee's and Mason Smith's and Brian Thomas's. And they've gone with eight wins in a season or whatnot. And did that immediately mean you're getting nobody? No, you end up signing a top three class. It's it's all about consistent effort with recruiting. And these kids, they all play for teams where they lose football games. They all play on teams where a quarterback doesn't have a great game. Corey Foreman's probably watching that game saying, B.J. Ojolari is the talk of the, the SEC right now after game one in terms of defensive linemen. He exploded onto the scene. B.J. Ojolari was getting reps right away as a true freshman. And it was a defense that clearly from a year ago, if you watched it, had way more pressure coming from the defensive line. We're playing more aggressive um, in that department. So a guy like Corey Foreman could look at it and say, I loved it. Great game. I thought that they really let the D linemen get after it. These kids aren't hanging on a win or a loss or what fans thought expectations were versus you having a a fall flat on your face day and giving up 600 yards through the air. They're going to focus on a business decision, the decision that's right for them. And um, I don't ever buy into one game, meaning all of that much. And I think that's, I can evidence that by they won a national championship and didn't turn around and just start knocking down five-star recruits before February signing day. It was business as usual. You just keep recruiting like you do. You're going to have top five classes. Very good. Well, Shay, I think that's it. That's all we got for uh, this edition of the pod. We'll be back later in the week to preview LSU uh, Vanderbilt on Saturday with Sonny Ship uh, For Shay Dixon, I'm Billy Embody. Thanks for listening, guys. Appreciate everybody that has been all over the board uh, talking with us about uh, what was a tough weekend in Baton Rouge. But look, uh, it quite honestly, defensively, can't get much worse. So uh, thank goodness for LSU. It appears Vanderbilt uh, will be its next team. And uh, we'll be previewing that later this week on the pod. But anyway, 
Thanks for listening. Hope everybody has a great week and we'll catch you next time.